Blog Talk Radio. All right, so now we are live with everybody. So I'm here. Beth's here. Vincent's here. Nico's back there. He's about to jump off. Nico's, yeah, Nico's right here. Lulu's right here. Oh, no, there goes Lulu. Never mind. And off camera, we have Lee again with us tonight. How much do go? Yeah. So, craziness. It is, it is, I mean, it's what? It's halfway through October. It's halfway through October. We still have voices. Yep, we do. We're, <laughs> we are. Okay. You, you, you have voices. I actually think the needs help. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, by the way, we're drinking meat tonight because honey. Yeah. That's honey. <laughs> well, and we, because we always drink, admittedly. Yeah, that's neat. It's fun. Yeah. So. We actually have some. Um, we don't like always drink. We always drink for the, the live event. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We're we're no no missing. See, I've only had two sips. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, this is a fun start to the evening. Oh, it's all good. It is all good. All right. I'm so sorry. bringing you up today while Chris is dealing with technical. Yay, technical stuff. Um. Oh, God. Okay, so we have, uh, of course, tours going on Wednesday through Sunday. Um, we have no more Facebook Live events this month. We will be back the first Monday of November. So three weeks from today, yep. which I think is November 7th. 7th. So. Which, uh, we're going to say, Haunted Salem. Yes. We're going to do that one. Yep. Salem, we get in. Has it been Salem, Massachusetts? Although I'm uh, sure Salem the Cat will be get an honorable mention that show because Salem the Cat. But I'll bring them up for sure. Yeah. <laughs> not on the script currently, but it hasn't been edited yet. I'll make sure uh-huh. that he winds up in there at some point. Um, but, yeah, so that's what our next Facebook Live will be. We have a speaking event this Thursday at the Ranch Museum. Yes, that is going to be a lot of fun. We're presenting Spirits Within, Architecture, and Objects. So that's special nice. presentation all about, um, you know, basically structures and household items and all the types of hauntings that go with them or how the paranormal has maybe even influenced the initial architecture of the place. Yes. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Tickets for that are in sale at the uh, Branch Museum's website, which I think in this case, I think it's port.branchmuseum.org. So you could go ahead and check that out. Um, and I think there was supposed to be a, a virtual option too. I don't know that they got that far. Oh, okay. But anyway. It would have been cool if there was. Anyway. Yep. So um, we so got that on Thursday, then on um, Saturday. We have a Scares That Care uh, benefit tour on Churchill at 9 o'clock. That's going to involve myself and Marcia. We're actually hoping to do it twice over. So Yeah, we would love to be able to give Scares That Care a big old check. Yeah, so we will, of course, be um, sharing some, uh, you know, regardless at this point. We've got, we've got a few people booked, a respectable number of people booked, so we'll be giving them a, a decent-sized check, but we would love for that size to grow considerably. Yes. So you, if you want to join us for that on uh, Saturday, that is going to be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And then... On the 30th, um, we are going to be down in the farmer's market. 29th. No. Yeah, 30th, 30th, yeah. Uh, from 4.30 to 8.30, uh, having a Halloween event down there. There'll be um, a scavenger hunt you can buy tickets for, which gets you hunt swag and ice cream and pour beer. Yeah. Swag. Swag. We're doing... We're Pins and wristbands are going to be part of the tickets as well. Yo, guys, the pins, they cheat. <laughs> um, but there's also going to be costume contests and trick-or-treating, and there's going to be music down there. we got vendors coming in. So, yeah, definitely come check that out. That's going to be a lot of fun. So. And you get to see my face. Yes. Because yes, Lee's going to be one of the guys on the scavenger <laughs> hunt, as will I. Um, as will Tiffany and, and Marsha. Marcia. I'll be dressed up. Uh, I'm going to see Morticia. So it's going to be a little different. I don't you. know what I'm going to be. I'm, I'm like, I might be Daniel, but if everyone's dressing up with something else, then I might just pull out of fashion. I'm just, I'm not doing the course. Mm-hmm. So, oh, and, and, uh, oh, so uh, also on the Thursday, the 27th, Beth and Marsha are going to be making an appearance at the Poe Museum for their unhappy hour. Um, we'll be telling some stories uh, in between um, the embalmers playing. Yep, the embalmers. <laughs> well, not now. The embalmers are going to be playing all evening. Yeah. Uh, you and or Marsha will be. We'll be switching off. Yep, be telling stories either in the old stone house or in the carriage house, mm-hmm. and you will be talking about 
not ghosts at the museum, but haunted places aside from the museum that are related to Poe. So got, that's going to be going on that evening. That's going to be a fantastic heck of a party. So oh, yeah. that, that'll be awesome. And you I think, yes, yeah, yeah, okay. yep. Uh, <laughs> and then also yeah, on that evening, tentative, very tentative, our, uh, our wonderful guide, Zoe, is working on actually um, putting together a trivia night at Rich Brow Brewing on the 27th as well. So lots of stuff going on down in Chaco with us on the 27th. And, oh, one other thing, um, not necessarily Haunts of Richmond, but Beth and I will be there next Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday is the Ghost Walks at Night up at Hanover Tavern. I will be a guide. Beth I will be a ghost. Beth will be a ghost up there. I so. am going back to my acting roots. Yep. So if you want to go ahead and get a uh, fun ghost tour up of the uh, Hanover Court Complex and Hanover Tavern, uh, you can go ahead to Hanover Tavern's website to find tickets to the Ghost Walks at Night, which, again, is next Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. And then, of course, there's all the regular walking tours as well, which also, also includes two days from now on Wednesday is the public premiere of our Creepy Tales on Campus tour on this Wednesday the 19th. So... Yeah. We just got a new story. We? But we haven't worked it into the route yet. I don't know that we have enough going on, honestly. No, we're not busy. No, not busy at all. But, uh, yeah, we need to, like, up the game, guys. Did you realize it is October? I know, I know. Feel okay. Cool. And, and the one thing you did not mention, December. Or November. There's a thing that we're doing in the... Comic-Con. <laughs> Comic-Con in November, but yeah. December, Haunt, Haunted Key West. Yeah. Haunted Key West, filmed December 2nd through 5th. You can go to hauntofkeywest.com to go ahead and find information on that and uh, use that to contact our friends at Holiday Maker Travel who could help you with reservations. So, and one more thing. Happy birthday, Patrick. Yeah. Happy birthday, Patrick. Hey, Patrick's birthday weekend. So, yeah. Awesome. All right, so now let's cut to the face. What you're all here for, and then there's a creepy doll. Yes. Yeah, so creepy doll. Intro, intro. 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 Oh, 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 you can read it. Want to do it. You, all right. So. I mean, she has to read it. But she, she can't start spouting stuff off and, like, supersede what I've written. Yes, I can. I'm the boss. You could, yes. <laughs> I just did. Anyway. So the list of creepy, possessed, and haunted dolls is almost endless. I keep finding more. Um, and as we are bringing you part three of this nightmare fuel, I'd like to give a shout out to some of our most famous creepy dolls that we've already talked about. <laughs> so back on April 20th of 2020, that was 2020. Mm, That's yeah. very weird. Okay. Yeah. Um, this was, of course, volume one, and we featured Annabelle, La Isla Muendas, the um, Isle of Haunted Dolls and Robert the Doll, which you will be able to see if you come on our Haunted Quest trip. Same thing. You meet them in person. Uh, a month later, May 18th of 2020, we did Volume 2, where we featured Peggy the Haunted Doll and eBay Doll Veal, and the local tale of a doll house ghost from one of our immediate neighbors down in the Field County area. So you can go back and review these uh, videos on our Facebook page, video archive, or on our YouTube channel that we now have, and Chris has been diligently transferring stuff over to. Yep. So I did have finally caught up to the beginning of 2022. So everything from 2020 and 2021 is now on YouTube. So if you go there and search Haunts of Richmond, we should come up somewhere. <laughs> we still only have like six followers. So it's a relatively new channel. Uh, but definitely encourage you to go ahead and check that out. Donnie says he has room for haunted dolls. Uh, you're going to have to... Uh, I might have my mom send you dolls, Donnie. I'm just letting you know. They're not quite haunted, but they're definitely creepy. We'll also have to play um, uh, Rhonda. Rhonda for them, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she keeps threatening to email to mail them to me. <laughs> all right, so we're going to start with Janet the doll. Janet the doll checks all the boxes for tonight's show. It is well over a century old and has long since lost her eyes, turning her otherwise pretty visage into a creepy, spine-tingling sight. Freak factor goes well beyond her appearance, though, as she is said to be haunted or cursed and also harms those who cross her path. Since 2026, excuse me, 2016, Try that again. Janet has resided in Northampshire in the UK with her current caretaker, Mika. 
Uh, now, we will be the first to say that Mika has had some questionable decisions in handling the doll that has a reputation for making people sick. It's probably a questionable decision for him to actually take possession of Janet in the first place, but he did. He acquired the doll from a family in Texas who was all too happy to see the last of this eyeless doll. The doll was amongst the belongings of a woman who passed away, and when her relatives were sorting through her belongings, the doll caught their attention for all the wrong reasons. Disembodied footsteps accompanied the doll in the Texas home. The family took to the Internet to give it away. This is when Mika, Miki stepped Mickey. in. Um, the family was said to be so desperate to be rid of the doll that they paid to have it shipped overseas. When Mickey first got a hold of the doll, he stored it away as Mickey's own family could not tolerate the doll's gaze. But after a few years, Mickey insisted on starting to tinker about with the doll. One of the first things he did was to get a hold of a spirit box and have a session with the doll. And during which he uh, said the name Janet came through and the doll has been Janet. Further investigation found a stamp with the number 1903 on it leading Mickey to assume Janet was manufactured in 1903, probably a safe assumption given the design of the doll. The relationship between Mickey and Janet is generally fraught, but that's why we don't suggest playing too hard with things that you don't understand. Further spirit box sessions have had Janet swearing at Mickey, and people who spend too much time with her will often experience discomfort in their chest. Janet will often move herself around as well. Mickey keeps Janet in his office, usually secured on a shelf. On multiple occasions, however, Mickey has entered his office to find Janet on the floor, as if he caught her mid-escape. Despite all this, Mickey continues to spend more time with this uh, haunted pal, hoping that her shows will escalate. Careful what you wish for. In Mickey's own words, perhaps she'll start throwing things or doing a cheeky wink and I can't wait to see what other experiences I have with Janet in the future. Our advice, don't be like Mickey. It's all fun and games until the haunted doll throws a pencil in your eye. Just saying. Mickey's a bit crazy. I was reading, when reading up on Mickey and uh, his fascination with Janet. It's a little bad. Yeah, it's not, not, not healthy. Not healthy. Not healthy, no. Oh, but oh, and uh, let's see. Rick has his birthday coming up next weekend. He's going to join us on the Panos of Franklin tour on Sunday. Woohoo! Yay! Brave soul, brave or foolish? No, definitely foolish. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> I don't like Panos of Franklin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's not like Panos of Franklin. Is a great tour. Yeah, it's definitely five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, now this next stop, this is actually going to take us to Singapore, and specifically to the island of Palu Uba. Now, today this island is sparsely populated, but for decades the island was a site of bustling activity, particularly for its granite quarries. The island spent many years as a British colony, and there is a story that as the world descended into World War I, there were two coffee plantations on the island, owned and operated by German families. With hostilities flaming up between Britain and Germany, the local British forces moved in to seize the coffee plantation. An 18-year-old girl from one of the German families fled into the woods, and her body was found several days later by local plantation workers after she apparently fell into one of the island's quarries during her flight. With the island in upheaval, the workers laid the young woman to rest where she fell, offering prayers for her soul. The body was later uncovered by Chinese workers, and they reburied her at the crest of the hill above the quarry. A shrine was constructed over the burial site, and the shrine eventually became associated with good luck. People would come from all around to leave offerings in hopes that the spirit of the German girl would bring them luck. The volume of visitors led a quarrying company to erect a more permanent shrine in 1974, which people still frequently visit to this day. The visitors leave gifts that they consider suitable for a young girl, including perfumes, makeup, small mirrors, combs, and even a Barbie doll. Now, if you enter the shrine, you will find an altar that would typically have the statue of a deity in local culture. In the German girl shrine, however, a Barbie doll resides in its place of honor, and the doll is believed to hold the spirit of the nameless girl. 
According to the temple's keeper, at first, people worship the porcelain altar instead of the Barbie doll. The porcelain altar is believed to contain a lock of the girl's blonde hair and a crucifix that is said to be the one the girl was wearing when she died. The Barbie doll has a later addition, or was a later addition, excuse me, after an emigrant from Singapore to Australia had the same dream on three consecutive nights. In the dream, a young European woman led him to a shop where she asked him to buy a specific Barbie doll and return it to the German girl's shrine in his homeland. Awakening from the dream, he decided to follow the instructions of the girl out of curiosity. He was quite taken aback when he not only found the exact shop that he had dreamt of, but the exact Barbie doll as well. He followed through with the request, purchasing the doll and returning with it to Paolo Rubin. Here, the Barbie has resided since 2007 a subject of worship and wishes, the earthly embodiment of a young girl spirit who lost her life over a century ago. And this isn't like your typical Barbie doll. This isn't like you know, the Barbie doll that you're going to see kids put the Corvette in or putting in the toy Corvette and driving it around, stuff like that. This, um, this Barbie doll has kind of been really done up in um, traditional ceremonial clothes. So it's definitely a Barbie doll, but it's definitely dressed up to be something much more ceremonial than your average toy. Kind of very contrasting. But you know, the year was it bought? Like you said, it was put there in 2007. Yep. So, uh, don't know what year it was bought exactly. Um, I'm assuming it was shortly before 2007. I wonder if it's like one of those, like, uh, special edition. It, it like international Barbies for a bit. It <laughs> may be. It may very well be. Yeah, Patrick mentioned, I think I heard of this one before. We did a similar story before with another doll whose hair just kept growing. That one was in Japan. Yeah, that was in Japan. It was a a, a baby, a girl who died in the spirit of her baby okay. adult. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, the, the doll with the growing hair. Japan had a couple of really, really creepy doll stories. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah so they did. There, there was that one. There, there, was, a, there was the village. There was the entire village. One, one guy had basically... When somebody moved away, he made a doll of them. Yeah, to help keep the village populated. Yeah, 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 that was definitely. <laughs> All right, so we're going to talk about Amelia. She's a haunted Italian doll. Uh, so hopping over to Italy, we're going to take a shallow dive into the politics of late 19th century Italy and, of course, our doll. Bear with us, please. <laughs> Here we go. King Umberto I ascended the throne in 1878. A decisive device, excuse me, figure during his tenure, he was deeply loathed in a left-wing circle because of his hardline conservatism. And this broiled over in 1900 when one of his detractors gifted Umberto with four bullets. <laughs> so he had the dubious distinction of being the only king of Italy to call an assassin. During his life, however, he was generous to those whom he liked. This included gifting a doll to Marie Bellina, the daughter of one of his closest friends and advisors. Marie loved the doll so much that she would eventually give the doll's name to her own flesh and blood daughter, Amelia. The doll survived World War I and World War II, losing both her arms and scalp in the Second War to a bomb on a train in Dunn, Italy. Because she was a prized gift to Maria Bellina from the king, Amelia was to be rescued from the rubble at all costs, and costly it was. The woman who wrested res Amelia from the rubble was killed in another explosion while trying to flee with the doll. Since that day, it's said that the woman's spirit has resided within the doll for which she gave her life. Amelia the haunted doll is said to open her eyes and close her eyes on her own volition and her sound box is still heard sometimes in the middle of the darkness crying at night for her mama, even though Amelia's voice box has been long since stopped with its working. The doll's mangled remains are still believed to reside with Marie's descendants, a treasured gift they may still be, that may still be part of the home of a woman once more to My turn? That's me? Yeah, that was a short one. Yeah, it is a short one. There's a lot of short ones this time. Yeah. Well, I mean, some of these doll stories, I mean, they, they, they get their limits, if you want to call it that. Yeah. Well, they're not as well. Yeah. 
It's, just, it's not as well known. So we're looking for the ones that had some interesting stories to go with. Yeah, there's plenty of people that like, oh yeah, we have a haunted doll. Like, what's special mm-hmm. about it? Well, well it's we, haunted. It's haunted. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but so yeah, but yeah. So this next story, this is a this is going to be a testimonial from a buyer of a Christina the doll on eBay. So it's another one of those eBay dolls, and it's probably you know. It, it, it is what it is. It's a one-person testimonial. We'll see where it goes. But the correspondence that this, the buyer had with the seller after she ultimately took possession of Christina. So her name was Shauna St. German. That, that was the buyer's name. And she would be the first to admit that she did not believe in haunted dolls, at least not until Christina came into her life. Christina may not be the oldest doll. She might not have the neatest hair, but she likes it. She might be slightly broken, but she now happily spends her days rocking away in her own little chair that Shauna bought for her. It wasn't long after Shauna got Christina settled in at her home that she received an email from Christina's seller, Miss Crokers. Dear Shauna, Christina was originally purchased by myself at an antique store in Jefferson, Texas, and was given to my six-year-old daughter who named her the lovely name Christina. I was never certain why, but I believed it was after my deceased grandmother, who she never knew. I do not know why I bought such a fine antique porcelain doll for such a young child. Then again, but I knew I but I knew instinctively I was to do this and in my life the doll would stay. The doll was originally made in the late eighteen hundreds and she was not cheap. An original doll from England, as I was told, since her condition was so perfect at the time it cost me five hundred dollars. The store I bought her in was called the Red Barn, and it's still there today. An old man waited on me, I will never forget. He was very nice as he shuffled around, pointing at the doll with his nice silver-headed cane. He told me to notice that this doll was looking at me and wanted to go home with me. I said, oh, really? I told him she was nice, but I had a small child that would destroy her. He then looked me in the eye and said, lady, that doll is telling me it wants to live with you and will love your daughter until the day she dies, and she will be no trouble at all. I was taken aback because the man was talking to me as if I could see, as if he could hear the doll telling him just what to say. So I bought her and did not quibble about the price because I knew the doll was worth much more. My daughter, Jasmine Elizabeth Croker, was only six of everyone told me why <clears throat> would I you know, asked me why would I give my child such an expensive present. I said it's not the price, it's the fact that the happy memories it will give me and her. And, of course, Jasmine Elizabeth Croker fell in love with her at first sight. Christina lived with Jasmine day and night, and I do mean lived. She had to sit on the toilet at bath time. She even went to preschool and a few years of kindergarten. Jasmine informed me one day that Christina told her she was bored and would rather stay home. When Christina's right leg was broken accidentally by her best friend, Connie Rukay, Jasmine cried real tears all day for the terrible tragedy. It was just so devastated, and she flung herself about as I bandaged the nub that was left. I was told by my daughter, or should I say informed, that there had to be a professional funeral for the shattered leg, and Connie had to attend no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I was stunned, but I did what Jasmine asked. My husband built a little coffin out of an old cigar box that he cut the scale of like a small pinch-toed coffin. Jasmine told us it was just like the one Christina envisioned. So we set to have the funeral as I was told to put the shattered pieces in the freezer. Jasmine called all our friends and our old family and told them to come dressed for the funeral, which was to be held next day. She said it had to be buried right away because the next day was Sunday and Christina was not only was upset because she had one foot in the grave, but because it was buried on a Sunday, the leg would go straight to hell. Ooh. Okay. So Christina, Christina. Christina had opinion. Yes. Now, though Christina told Jasmine after that to never speak to her again, Jasmine never did. Jasmine carried her around as an invalid for as many months that turned into a year or more. I constantly had to replace her bandage daily, as Jasmine told me Christina instructed her to tell me. I had also had to check it out for infection and whatever other malady Christina told her for me to check. She told me that Christina would wake her in the night, complaining of phantom pains where her missing light once was. At this point, I was beginning to think my kid just had a great imagination. Because in the early 1980s, no one ever thought about a child doll being really haunted. 
Jasmine once woke me up screaming that the pain in Christina's leg felt like fire ants were eating it. So in the middle of the night, I went to the grave of the leg to see that it was now a mount of fire ants. I personally believe the doll is haunted from that point on. Then I had to find a way to take the doll away. So I came up with a plan to have her locked away ever since. I told my daughter that Christina had decided she wanted to see her mother and went to visit her friends and family back in England. Then I locked her away in an old trunk in my attic where she has been ever since my daughter was seven. Her right leg is broken and buried in an unmarked grave in someone's backyard in Henderson, Texas. I have since moved to El Paso. I hope she does not haunt you too much and she has a new wonderful time with you to study. Sincerely, Mrs. Croker. Shana was not disturbed by the letter. She had already had her suspicions about Christina's nature. Trying to move about on her own, brushing her hair only to find it a tangled mess again the following day, the activity, the activity is quite benign, a fact that Shauna is grateful for. Shauna has read her fair share of haunted doll testimonials, and she's happy that Christina doesn't seem to want to attack her in her sleep like so many other chilling tales described. It's not often that we have a chance to talk about happily settled spirits, but we're glad that Christina seems to be well settled into a happy home after all. Christina's got quite a demanding personality. She is, she is a lot. It makes me wonder what would happen if they gave her an artificial a peg leg. Yeah. It's a theory. What is it, Lulu? All right, so we talked about Robert, the haunted doll. Now we're going to talk about Robertina, because I had to. Yeah, you, please. I had to. It's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this is another doll that was hand-sewn in the 1920s era textile fabric. Uh, her story actually comes to light and to being just a few year, short years ago in 2017. Robertina the Haunted Doll, minus one point for knocking off Robert's name, by the way, was founded by a woman named <laughs> Rachel Marie Meyer in Austin, Texas, in Austin, Texas, antique store in the summer of 2017. That was a little rough. Sorry. Meyer noticed the doll long before she purchased it. Robertina was held up by a doll stand on the top shelf of the shop Meyer's frequented. And she described it as being extremely detailed cloth doll the size of a toddler. Upon closer inspection, Myers noted many unusually detailed features on the doll, such as eyelashes made from the feathers and lifelike fingernails made from what appeared to be leather. She found such details both fascinating and creepy. According to Myers, after first seeing the doll, she developed a strong draw to it and returned to the store many times to see Robertina, despite something inside her telling her leave the doll. Myers actually became driven to purchase her. Myers first attempted to purchase the doll on her birthday in 2016, but after she got Robertina down from the top shelf and sent it to the front counter, she became extremely ill and had to leave the store, leaving Robertina behind. Myers returned home but couldn't stop thinking about it. She returned to the store in, the late, in late summer of 2017 and bought her. Almost from the moment she brought, bought the Honda toy into her home, Myers began to regret her decision. The doll was not only creepy to look at, but she brought a deep feeling of negativity into the home. Myers noted the doll never failed to startle her, and it felt dark and cold near where the doll was located. She even felt the doll change positions and move on its own from at the same time, Myers began to experience a spat of negative activity in her life, including a freak flooding of her car in a Texas rainstorm, a continuous dark mood, and numerous arguments with people in her life whom she had never argued with before. Filled with misgivings, Myers contacted the store where she purchased the doll and asked about returning it. However, she was also concerned that if she did return Robertina, the doll could fall into the wrong hands and bring even more misfortune to an unwitting new owner. Instead, Myers moved Robertina to her storage unit, where it would no longer be home. Myers searched for a few months, asking people at the antique store about Robertina's origins, but nobody seemed to know. 
Finally, one night, the antique store had an anniversary celebration, and Myers was able to meet with who owned the stall where she found Roxina. They told her they found the doll when they were picking antiques in the South. The doll was from around the 1920s, and it had been with the same family for generations, passed down through the years. During that time, family members would place Robertina in the car when the teenagers were learning to drive to encourage them to be safe while driving the car and to discourage them from misbehaving when they did drive. Finally, Myers decided to return the doll to the antique store. However, she didn't want to transfer Robertina by herself, so a friend took the doll back to the store. Myers couldn't wait to get rid of anything related to the doll. She deleted all photos from her camera, discarded all videos with Robertina in them, and even replaced the phone she had used to photograph Robertina. Even with all that, Myers didn't share her story until more than a year after getting rid of it. She eventually shared the experience on YouTube, and another couple, tempting fate, came by to the shop to purchase Robertina. Using the power of the Internet, Robertina was more recently located in the Museum of Fear and Wonder in Alberta, Canada, where she spends her days creeping out those who are brave enough to go visit her. So, people will do weird things with dolls. Yes, they will. They'll make weird dolls. <laughs> um, oh, no. Well, it, it's not that bad. Okay. Um, they added horns. It, it, it's, it's a life-size red devil baby doll. That's not where my brain is going. Oh, yeah. let's just say this one's bad enough to look at. It's not, it's, it's not cute. It's not cute. It's yeah, it's it's something. It, it's you know maybe, you know red leather skin, intense blue hot glass eyes. Its cuteness is overshadowed by the real haunted evil that is said to hide inside. The only thing they didn't do is put it in a blue dress. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, oh. Yes, I went there. You went there. I don't. Devil with a blue dress. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I went there. Oh. I could. Because you could. Anyway, now, given to a California paranormal investigator named Mike Perez, um, this doll his, Mike was uh, to try and figure out what might reside inside this doll. Uh, and this doll is by no means a child's plaything. Now, originally purchased as a haunted curio gift from a leather maker, this haunted doll is said to move on its own and is often heard making strange growling and gurgling noises. This, even though the doll has no noisemaker or voice box whatsoever. Now, Mike managed to track down the leather maker, an artist named Raphael, who told Mike that the doll was made for a close friend that had died. His friend had told Raphael stories about the devil baby of Hull House and the devil baby of Bourbon Street, stories that we might dig up for another later show. Honestly, I'm not familiar with them, but apparently there's these devil babies stories out there. So might be something to do for future reference. But anyways, Raphael's friend was inspired by these devil babies. And Raphael wanted to go ahead and create this devil baby doll for his friend. Now, before the doll could be completed, the friend passed away and never got to see it. Raphael knew how much his friend wanted it and could not wait for its completion, so he decided to give it to him at his funeral. <laughs> now, Raphael's intention was to place the doll into the coffin to be cremated with his friend, but his friend's family objected. After that, the doll started to take on a life of its own. Raphael believes that it is inhabited by his friend's soul. He told Mike he heard it speak to him in his friend's voice, and he had witnessed it turning its head. So, yeah, this, uh, yeah. Know, this, this thing... It's hideous. It's something. I don't know how well you can. I'm not the worst. See that? You can see that. Yeah, it's um. There you go. Glare yourself. It's a little weird. So yeah, um, yeah. It, it, I I don't know what quite to make of that. I, I don't mind hearing weird stuff around. I think I might have to draw the line. I will definitely draw the line there. Okay, glad. glad that, that's a hard no. Yep. So, you want me to carry on? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Roberta, ew. 
Exactly. No. Patrick cremated with his friend. Um. What? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I see. <laughs> I draw my line at creepy dolls. I'm sorry, they're just not my thing. Mm. Not my thing. Uh, I will say hi to Robert. I will make nice with Robert when we're there with the Nuki West, but creepy dolls are not my thing. Yeah. You say I like creepy dolls, but like I don't know. How do you think they feel? Yeah. Oh, they're there. <laughs> we have friends that are definitely very much obsessed with haunted and creepy dolls, so. And that's fine. That's their thing. Yep. Not mine. <laughs> anyway, now. As we have established by now, the haunted doll marketplace on eBay has been thriving for years. While some might steer clear from purchasing haunted objects, there are certainly plenty of people out there who will pay top dollar to get something spooky in their house. This particular tale starts back in October 2004 when a woman in Galveston, Texas, a budding paranormal investigator, purchased a haunted New Orleans zombie voodoo doll via the online auction house. The eBay seller's ad said that this haunted zombie doll was very active and almost alive. It went on to say that the new owner had to follow the rules of keeping it hidden away and never to open the silver box it was locked in, even to view it. The buyer dismissed these warnings, and as a novice ghost hunter, she thought it would be a great creep to experiment with, even if it wasn't really haunted. She planned to investigate and test the doll with the ultimate purpose of writing a book about sending, haunt, sending haunted objects through the mail. Very specific topic. <laughs> I love it. It makes me happy. <laughs> All on name research, right? Yeah. <laughs> now, much to this would-be paranormal investigator's dismay, the voodoo doll was not only haunted, but violently so. She tried to get in touch with the person in New Orleans who sold the voodoo doll, but her emails were not returned. She even packed the voodoo doll up and sent it back to the address it was shipped from. The package came back with an attachment with an attachment saying the resident was deceased. <laughs> Afraid to the point of mental exhaustion, she tried to destroy it by burning it, but it would not burn. She then tried to cut it up, but the knife and scissors broke. She finally took it to a cemetery and buried it. Apparently, the grave was too shallow as the doll returned to her, laying on its front, on front porch the next day, covered in dirt. She eventually went to resell the doll on eBay, but the buyer wrote back to say that the doll had gone missing shortly after its arrival. It again reappeared on the woman's doorstep back in Galveston. She, she mailed it to the buyer a second time, but it again disappeared from the buyer's house and returned to Galveston. The doll was mailed a third time, but this time the box was empty upon arrival at the buyer's house. The voodoo doll was very clear about where it wanted to be, much to the Galveston woman's dismay. She has since tried contacting multiple paranormal teams, but none seemed to be interested in taking her case. For over a year, she lived in fear of the voodoo doll that she, um, that she could not get rid of. Others offered to take it off her hands, but no one actually ever showed up to retrieve it. On Halloween 2006, she contacted a local radio station and told her story on the air. Several callers to the show told her to seek out a priest, which she did. The priest who visited her was shown the large antique silver box that the haunted voodoo doll was kept in. She begged him not to open it, just to take her word on it. He then blessed the box as she asked to hold the possessed, as she asked to hold the possessed doll inside there. In the years since, she locked the doll away in a trunk in her attic. She hoped to move away and leave the doll behind, hidden away in the attic where she hoped no one would ever find it or let it out. Being a tale from the Internet, it's certainly justifiable to take this story with a grain of salt. But if it's even slightly true, it would definitely be right up there with most classic buyer beware stories. Oh. And there actually is a picture of this thing, too, which is... So if you guys don't ever want to buy this, if you uh, if you recently ate, maybe just turn your head away for a moment. It's rather hideous. It's, it's kind of ugly. It's it looks like it's made out of bacon. It, yeah, it, it looks like it's made out of bacon and yeah, it's. Looks like chocolate nice. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's uh, kind of kind of creepy. Well, on a creepy doll, I guess. Yeah, it's right in there. Anyway. I'm, oh, yours. I'm going to move that picture up in a minute. Oh, 
rubies, a haunted doll, a sad artifact that proves not all haunted objects are evil. When most people think about the paranormal, there's a good chance that the first place their minds go will to the dark and scary sentence. It's honest and it's understandable as an initial reaction, but one that is ultimately not always justified. Ruby, the haunted doll, is a great reminder of why the paranormal doesn't have to be a dark and frightening subject. Ruby has been part of the Traveling Museum of the Paranormal and Occult since its founding in 2013. Long before the Traveling Museum, Ruby was a much-loved piece of Founders' personal collection of strange artifacts. Ruby was given to them by a good friend, who, until that time, had the doll hidden away in an old attic, stuffed into a cardboard box with some board games and books. As the saying goes, out of sight, out of mind, the friend said that the doll had been a strange point of contention among her family members for decades. This doll, she said, was haunted. But because of its complicated and uncomfortable history, dealing with the haunting wasn't as simple as calling a priest or burying the object. Ruby has been a family heirloom for a handful of generations. And through the years, though the years wore on, the family has become less and less welcoming of having Ruby as a house guest. One look at her, and it's easy to understand why they might not want to display her in their home. But her parents wasn't the only reason Ruby has spent the last several decades stored away in boxes, storage units, and musty basements. According to the family, the well-worn heirloom came with all of the usual features of creepy haunted dolls. It moved around the room thinly on its own accord. It produced strange sounds and generally terrified and disgusted anyone with the slightest belief in the boomer's natural. Ruby, though, had another unique ability. She seemed to make anyone in her immediate vicinity feel ill. The doctor, doctor, the antique doll seemed to have a knack for causing headaches, allergies, exhaustion, and most commonly, overwhelming nausea. As it turns out, Ruby belonged to a very distant family member, a very ill little girl who died when she was quite young, in fact. The family maintains that the girl died while holding Ruby in her arms. The uncomfortable and often unspoken feeling is that Ruby gave the family was that their long-dead relative is likely attached to her favorite doll. What do you do when you believe that a family member, one with whom you have no tangible connection to other than blood, refuses to move on? Well, that's a complicated situation for sure. No one wants to believe that they're discarding the spirit of a relative, and yet few want to deal with the haunting. The contention and concern about Ruby and the detached, uh, attached spirit drove the family, who were all church-going, born-again Christians, to go against their beliefs about dabbling in the occult. They hired a psychic medium to try to help the girl pass on. It didn't work. So they then fell back to passing Ruby around from house to house, a trail of bumps in the night and a chronic illness following her. The traveling museum founder was asked by their friend if they would be interested in providing Ruby with a home where she and her family knew she would be safe, respected, and potentially even helped. Of course, the answer was yes, and Ruby the Haunted Doll officially became a member of the founder's family that day. At first, Ruby didn't do anything out of the ordinary. Her tales of sickness were attributed to a group of people having worked themselves up over an old family legend, a sad situation, and a creepy doll. It's understandable, and it happens more than you think. Eventually, the Traveling Museum of the Paranormal Account was founded, and Ruby was included amongst the earliest traveling exhibits. It seems Ruby liked, uh, it seems like all Ruby needed was a crowd to get her to come out of her shell because that's when strange events really started to occur. Most who would come in contact with Ruby would walk away uh, having felt no headache, no nausea, no onset of chronic illness. Many, though, would have a different, more unusual response, one that is hard to ignore. Close to half of all the people who took the time to actually hold Ruby reported feeling overwhelmed by the familiar maternal feeling. In fact, most people who held her began to rock her back and forth, treating Ruby as you would a living child, with a number of them actually breaking down into tears due to an overwhelming sudden affection. Stranger still is the fact that the museum visitors would often be performing these motherly actions without even realizing what they were doing. 
The museum founder would have full conversations with people who would be bouncing Ruby, rocking her, even burping her the entire time. It wasn't until their actions were pointed out that, that they even remembered they were holding Ruby. The moment of realization would often be mixed with uh, would be a mix of fear, embarrassment, and concern. What had possessed them? And despite having lost track of their senses, the result wasn't anything particularly sinister. For the most part, despite her stained clothes and cracked face, Ruby has never done anything particularly frightened, and that's the lesson to be taken away here. Not everything that looks creepy is out to terrorize you, possess you, or to drag your soul to the depths of hell itself. In fact, it's very rare that any entities, human or otherwise, are trying to get you to do anything but understand them. All you need to do is overcome your ingrained fears and listen closely for the message these items are trying to send. Deciphering that message is another story entirely. Ruby's interactions with the general public have always been contained to emotional events. That is, until the 20th anniversary of the Haunted America Conference. After the event, Lisa Taylor Horton, author of Haunted American Conference, and Haunted America Conference organizer contacted the museum with a strange report that accompanied a mysterious photograph on her phone. One she swore she didn't take. That was a photo of Ruby. Perhaps it's possible that Ruby has become aware of the kind of attention that some of the museum's top-tier objects have been getting, and in her very sweet fashion, Ruby picks the least terrifying way to make contact with somebody who she felt a connection with. But the girl... Uh, who died all those years ago is still attached to her favorite doll. Maybe there's something about Lisa that drew her attention and made her want to reach out and make contact. For now, Ruby will continue to travel the country with the museum, and guests will be allowed to continue their, to interact with her as she epitomizes the size of the paranormal that is often glossed over in favor of bigger scares. For, if we're to be believed that Ruby... Bleh, bleh, bleh. <laughs> If we're to believe what Ruby's original family believes, there is a sweet little girl still holding onto Ruby's cracked hands, and maybe today that little girl is finding comfort in the people who interact with her. In her own way, she's just reminding us that she's still there, wanting to be loved and respected, just like him. Yeah, good point, Patrick. That one thing he's always loved about ghost stories, um, as opposed to like the true crime stuff, is that the sometimes spirits are there to teach you a lesson. Yep. And uh, encourage you, moving you in the right direction or something like that. Can you hint? An example. Christmas Carol. Yes. Yeah. Maybe that's what I'll decorate. What we got? The Christmas Carol. Oh, are we gonna? Oh, okay. They were fine. They were. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Now, this is the, the last one, which is a cautionary beware, which you read on the internet. Yes. So, final story for the evening. And, uh, again, cautionary tale. It's one of those stories that took a seed of truth and grew a bizarre web of twisted facts and outright falsehoods. So take this for what it's worth, a complete work of fiction. For generations, ventriloquists the world over have been making people smile as they perform with their puppets. Giving the illusion of life to these inanimate objects, even for a short while, can be a magical and entertaining experience even as many of the puppets may carry exaggerated, unrealistic, and sometimes downright creepy expressions. Charlie McCarthy was recognized for being a successful ventriloquist in the 20th century. During his performances, he brought to life his rather peculiar puppet, Edgar, to the delight of many. However, a time would come that that delight would shift to grim horror. McCarthy would introduce Edgar to the public in 1920. Edgar, the ventriloquist puppet, featured quite a few different characteristics from other puppets of the era. First, Edgar represented an eight-year-old boy, whereas most puppets were intended to represent more adult figures. Edgar's complexion was plump, and his facial features were very expressive and somewhat chilling. And even though his eyes were made of wood, they would still reflect expressions of sadness or darkness. Still, what made McCarthy's reputation grow was the ability to make his voice become Edgar 
without any change in his own facial expression. Edgar's voice was so different and unique that even the greatest of critics couldn't help but to be impressed or terrified. Despite, um, despite McCarthy's talents, or perhaps because of them, there were some who started rumors of McCarthy being a warlock. They believed that McCarthy must be using some otherworldly power to make Edgar speak. This rumor spread so fast that people began banning children from attending McCarthy's performances. <laughs> the rumor started to spread like wildfire when it was found out that McCarthy had a strange fascination with the puppet. He used to take care of Edgar as if it were his own son. The public, and even the show hands, were not allowed close to Edgar. McCarthy was the only one ever allowed to handle Edgar in any way. McCarthy's career ended in dramatic fashion. One night while on tour, McCarthy returned to his dressing room after a show and locked himself in there for hours. After cleaning up, the theater workers realized that McCarthy was still inside. After knocking at the door for several minutes, they decided to contact the authorities who forced the dressing room door open upon their arrival. The scene before them was shocking and grim. McCarthy was lying on the gr ground, lifeless, his neck destroyed and soaked in blood. The first thought was that someone had come to steal Edgar, but when they found Edgar's box and opened it, the puppet was still there with a chilling gaze that even left the officers on edge. Still, as part of their investigation, they needed to analyze Edgar for any possible clues. The horror of finding McCarthy's mutilated throat was only amplified when they realized that Edgar wasn't a puppet at all. Edgar was actually formed from the body of a child. Edgar had fingerprints, and his face, real face was covered to hide his paleness. No one knew who the child was or how their body came to be in the possession of McCarthy. It was a mystery McCarthy took to his grave. Now, if the names in the story sound familiar, that's because the writer of this fiction used real names from the not-so-distant past. Charlie McCarthy was never a real person, but Edgar Bergen was. Edgar was an actor and comedian with a proficiency in ventriloquism. Edgar commissioned for his ventriloquist puppet, Charlie McCarthy, to be carved from wood, not human flesh, and the two would go on to have a glowing career for several decades. They made many appearances on radio and television, headlining their own shows for stretches in the 1940s and 1950s. Their last appearance together was in 1979 in The Muppet Movie, which actually premiered about eight months after Edgar Bergen's death due to kidney disease. For his part, Charlie McCarthy now resides in the Smithsonian as a classic piece of Americana. Certainly I don't know if it's curl if uh, Charlie is currently on display. That is a good question. They were redoing that museum. The American Museum was closed, I think, for several years. Yeah, while well, they were redoing it. I, I think they got gutted the place, but I think it's been a decade ago now. Yeah, we we, we still need to go. To we, we haven't been up to actually go like the Smithsonian in a long time. We need to do that this week. There, uh, so I'm going to be at the DC concert on the 10th. And on the 9th, the Smithsonian is putting out the side codes from MASH. Oh, um, that's right. Part of their uh, TV collection. Just the side codes, despite the fact they have the entire collection yeah. of MASH in the basement or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, that, that I don't know exactly where that story originated. It's probably some, like, credit. Yeah, Reddit. <laughs> some creepy pasta or something like that. I don't know. But, um, yeah. It's, um, I think I found it on something. The, even though it's a complete work of fiction, it's yeah. been reposted everywhere. everywhere. So, yeah, but kind of an interesting story in and of its own, right? We do like to be able to throw in those works of fiction, those cautionary tales every once in a while, because it does serve a valuable lesson. It does. You can't take everything at face value. You do your research. Do your research, and anybody who says that they have definitive, without a doubt, proof of paranormal, uh, no, no. We're still working on We're, yeah, that, that's a work in progress, so, yeah, no, no, doesn't exist. There's a lot of very fascinating, compelling evidence out there today, and we'd love to talk about it, but, yeah, to say without a shadow of a doubt that a particular 
haunting is being, you know, a particular spirit is haunting in a particular place for a particular reason is um, is a little bit of a stretch, something that we haven't quite gotten there yet. But in the meantime, we're working on it. We're working on it. Okay. Always working on it. There's always yeah. more people doing research. We've got our friends in the paranormal community, and in this case, particularly our friends with the Center for Paranormal Research and Investigation. Yep. They use very scientific methods and basically remove themselves from the investigations as well. They set up all kinds of equipment and do all kinds of analyzing and stuff like that. Very, very kind of, um, you know, you know, very high-tech yeah. um, type stuff. So got that going on, which, oh, does remind me, another event that's going on this weekend that is not us, but it is our very good friends at the John Marshall House. They are on Friday and Saturday evening <clears throat> having uh, their own um, ghost, ghost, ghost walks. Um, I think their tours will be about a half an hour. And um, CPRI will be there to yeah. talk about the things that they have actually recorded while they've done their investigations. Yep. So. investigation? Uh, part of it. They're because oh. of Hanover? I don't know. Now, the one you went down down to Norfolk? Yeah. That was a different group. Okay. Well, they all have the letter C. Yeah, um, I don't think the one I just did. I'm I'm blanking on it, but I I think it's Pat. No, that's the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> in, in any case, yeah, they're, they're they are also reputable members of the paranormal. Um, I like them. Yeah, they're nice people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, anyways, but yes, uh, so so much going on. It is prime spooky season. If you want to reach out and ask about any kind of spooky stuff that's going on, please do. Please feel free to do so. Love to hear from you. And you can always go ahead. You can keep up, of course, keep up with us on Facebook. Keep up with, um, you know, we got all kinds of stuff posted on our website for our tours and links to special events that are going on. But, yeah, there's a lot going out there. So go ahead. Get out there. Help keep Richmond spooky. Uh, help us keep Richmond spooky. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. And happy Halloween a few weeks early. Yes, happy just Halloween. yep, two weeks early. Next show will be in three weeks. Where hopefully we'll have had some some semblance of rest. Yeah. We we'll see. But we will also be posting our pictures of the decorated house more that we've been talking about as well. Now uh, that everything is finally up. Yes. <laughs> everything. Everything. Everything is finally up. Everything. It's out of the living room. Yeah. Dining room, but dining room, whatever. Regardless. Yeah, there's also Mister Bones in there. He's got to work at that festival this weekend. There's a festival this weekend. Oh, oh yeah, shoot, you. I'm not going to this. Well, not festival. I'm market. I'm going to be down at um, Flower the the Flower Cheetah um, boutique in Chester on Sunday mm-hmm. for their monthly um, oddities market. So I will be there from. Well, I think the market's officially like 10 to 3. Most of us are there and set up well in advance at 10 o'clock. Um, so, yeah, if you want to come on down, you can snag yourself some Haunts of Richmond. Uh, Jewelry yeah. and gear and fun stuff. Yep, and find out about what we got going on, and I'm just happy to talk spooky stuff with you all as well. So, yeah, you can come on down and see me there. Yep. Because if well, I'll be decorating up a Hanover Tower for the ghost walk while he's down at the market. So. We're conquering and dividing. Dividing yes. and conquering. Dividing and conquering. Ah. Happy Halloween from San Antonio. Woohoo! Yep. Thank you, Marshall. Wait. San Antonio is far away. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and uh, came in late. Yeah, came in a little late. No problem, That's though. Okay, you can still catch it once it's over, replay. Yep, catch it on replay. Eventually, uh, I will have this one as well as everything else on uploaded uh, to YouTube. So, um, if you want, yeah, you can go back and you can see uh, all the uh, all the videos going back to March of 2020 when we yep. started doing this. You want to tell them about your TikTok? <laughs> I had a I, there's a haunt of Richmond TikTok that was set up over a year ago <laughs> and it has precisely two TikTok videos. It's fabulous. We're gonna work on that in the low season. Work in progress. I have no idea. Um, I have to learn these things. So. I got you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, Lee's going to teach her. So. He's going to school us on the TikTok. I am TikTok famous. I know my cat is. But <laughs> we're we're going to be those old people that come in and rule the platform, and then they'll have to, all the young people will have to go to else 
elsewhere, just like they did with Facebook. And Every time you, you start a video, just like squint. Yeah. And like, <laughs> you